Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. And God, we pray for you to be glorified, just as that song sang, glory, gloria to you. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that we are here to glorify your name, to seek your face, to understand who you are and what you want for our lives. And so, Lord, our prayer this morning is that you would speak to us so that your name could be glorified in who we are and how we live and the one that we point others to. So, Lord, help us as we uh, seek you this morning. Open our minds and our hearts to your word through worship so that you could change us from the inside out, so that we could all become the men and women of God that you've called us to be to your glory. So again, we thank you, we praise you, and we lift all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, to his glory. Amen. Good morning. Welcome. I'm glad that you're here with us. I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 5 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 5 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. So if you can find Galatians 5... It's in the New Testament, so the last one-third or one-quarter of your Bible. Uh, You'll go through and you'll find Galatians chapter 5. 2 Thessalonians is just a few books later, so you just kind of slowly flip through and you'll find 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. So as you're turning there, let me tell you a little bit of a story. Uh, Last week, uh, we spoke about kindness. We, We discussed kindness and what God's Word has to say about it. And I told you a story about how growing up, uh, when I was born, I was actually had some of my, uh, my parts of my body that were underdeveloped. And so the doctors had put me on this very restrictive diet. And my grandfather on my mom's side showed me some kindness uh, at that time that meant the world to me uh, by taking me to go eat some of the foods that I was not allowed to eat. And it was, a, it was an act of kindness in that moment. And I want to continue that story because I know that some of you are probably going, okay, so what happened? What, what's the next part of the story? Well, fast forward to age 10. Uh, I, I was feeling much better. I was beginning to grow. And, and the, what the doctors had given me to do was, was seeming to work. And uh, so I went through a series of tests about uh, eight or nine years old, somewhere around in there. Um, and the doctors said that everything was completely normal. Everything had caught, caught up and my body was functioning the way it was supposed to be functioning. And so they took me off of that horribly restrictive diet. And I got to eat like a normal child. And I was excited because um, at age 8 through 10, I really began to notice that I was much, much smaller than all of the other kids in my school. Uh, And it bothered me because, let's face it, if you can think back to your days as a child or if you can think back to your kids or if you have kids now, think about it. Does your kid or, or were you, did you want to be the smallest kid in your class? No. The direct opposite. You want to be the big kid, right? You want to be the tall kid. You want to be the kid that when you go out to recess and you're playing kickball, you're the first pick because you're the big, strong kid. I was the opposite. I was the teeny weeny little bitty kid. And I got picked last for everything. When we would play dodgeball, I was the last picked and I was the last hit because no one thought I was a threat. 
And so I was the kid at the very end of the game. If my team lost, I was the real loser. Because when you're on the losing team and you're the last one, that means you've got a row of big kids all throwing balls at you at the same time. And I was that kid stuck just playing dodge with no balls to throw back. So I was the small kid and I I actually hated it. It was something that really caused me a lot of angst and and anxiety as a child. I remember looking um, at, at trying to find ways to grow. And so I would ask mom if she could get me a certain kind of food because I heard that it would let, uh, make you grow faster. And I, I was the kid that always asked for his vitamins in the morning because I, you're told, you know, you grow because you've got vitamins and you're eating healthy and things like that. I was that weird kid because I wanted to grow because I was so much smaller. So fast forward to high school, I was always the shortest kid in my class until my sophomore year of high school when I finally surpassed Corrine Gallegos, who never passed four foot ten. So, guys, I, I longed to grow. Uh, I, milestones in my height were a big, big deal. I can tell you exactly how tall and how much I weighed my sophomore year of high school because it was such a big deal, because that was the point, I hit five foot nothing. <laughs> I was a sophomore. I mean, kids today hit five foot in sixth grade. And so I longed to grow. Uh, and keep that in mind, I'm going to come back to this idea of longing to grow uh, later on in, in this morning's discussion. So take your Bibles Turn to Galatians 5. We are in the dead center of a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And we know what the Bible says about the fruit of the Spirit based on Galatians 5. So Galatians 5, verse 16, it's where we're going to begin. It says this. Now, by now, if you've been here through this whole series, you should almost be able to say this by memorization. And that's intentional. I want you to be able to walk away at the end of this series and have a really, really good idea what the Bible has to say about the works of the flesh and how to counteract the works of the flesh through the fruit of the Spirit. So we will read this every week through this series, which we're, we're halfway through. So Galatians 5, starting in verse 16, it says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But look what it says in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace forbearance or or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified 
the flesh with its passions and desires. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful statement? That through the fruit of the Spirit, we can crucify the acts of the flesh that drive us away from God, that that pull us away from Him. When we live in the fruit, we grow closer to God. And when we have the fruit of the Spirit being produced within us, there's no room for those fleshly desires inside our hearts. And so that's why we're spending nine weeks uh, focusing on this passage uh, as we begin. So, recap, we have covered so far love, joy, peace, and this NIV says forbearance, which also means patience, and kindness. And today we're on goodness. So as I do with these passages, let me, let me tell you what some of the other parts of the Bible has to say about goodness so that we can walk away from here having a, a whole idea of God's Word on this topic. So Romans 15, verse 14. Romans 15, verse 14. It says this, I myself am satisfied about you. Now this is Paul speaking to the Roman people who are followers of Christ. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Isn't that beautiful that he he talks about his satisfaction in what the Roman Christians are doing, in how they're living, in how they're following God, what does he say he's satisfied in? He's satisfied in their goodness. And so I'm going to come back to this idea, but keep that in mind. Our next passage is Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 10. Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 10. It says, For at one time you were darkness, but now... You are light in the Lord. Isn't that beautiful, that contrast? We were once, it doesn't say in darkness, we were once darkness. And now we are light in the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful illustration? I don't know about you, but I'm not a person that enjoys walking through my house in dead darkness because I have a one-year-old and an eight-year-old, which means there are all sorts of of deadly obstacles on the floor at any moment in my house. Even if I ask my kids uh, to pick up, which one of them's a one-year-old, he can't. But even if I say, okay, guys, it's time to pick up toys, and my son does a good job, there's still a very high likelihood that there is a Lego somewhere on that floor waiting to take me out in the pitch black of the darkness of my house. Am I the only person who believes in my heart of hearts that when the lights go out, Legos grow spikes? (laughs) Have you ever stepped on a Lego in the dark? There's not many things more excruciating than a Lego in the darkness. Believe me on that. But look at what he says here. We were once darkness and now we are light in the Lord. But look at what else it says there. Walk as children of light if we were once darkness and now we're light we should walk as such correct so he says walk as children of light for the fruit of light is found in all that is good did you catch that all that is good and right and true and try to discern discern what is pleasing to the lord again it's that idea coming back to there's a measuring rod 
of following God. And that measuring rod, according to Paul in both of these passages, is tied to goodness. And so let's discuss goodness for a second. If you go, and I don't know if you know this, but the New Testament, uh, Matthew through Revelation, the last several books of this book right here, the New Testament's written in an ancient Greek language. And in that Greek language, the word goodness, when you go back and you look it up and you see how often and where the Greeks used this word for goodness, it's only found in religious documents. It's a religious word. It's not a word that, um, you know, I don't know about you, but I can go around and, and meet someone and I could go, you know what, that's a good person. And it may have no religious context at all. They may just be a good, nice person that does good and there may be no religious tie to that statement in any way, shape, or form. But in the, the Jesus' day... The understanding of goodness was always religious. It always had a spiritual element to it. And so this word is very religious in its meaning. Um, and it's an umbrella term. It means a lot of things. There, there are things that you have to have within that goodness to qualify for it. And so think about it for a moment. If you were to see somebody and you, or you're talking about somebody and you're, you're saying, wow, that person is just such a good person. What are some of the qualities that you think of? Because good kind of encompasses many things, doesn't it? Because you wouldn't say that a person is good if they cheat on their taxes, but they gave to the poor. That, those are counter to each other. You wouldn't say that a person is good or that they're filled with goodness if they're nice to you, but they're not nice to a stranger. You see what I mean? Goodness encompasses many characteristics. It's not one single thing. So you could kind of say the fruit of the Spirit, you have to kind of fulfill all of the fruit of the Spirit in order to be considered to have goodness in this terminology and how we're speaking of this today. So... It's mainly talking about moral living, though. That, that's kind of the context that we're talking about when the Bible says goodness. It's talking about living rightly. Uh, living in a way where you're following the, the desires of God. You're following the commands, the directions that God has for your life. Uh, it's a combination of application of God's Word in our lives and the way we treat others out of that application. And so that's the biblical understanding of goodness, okay? Now, let's talk about specifically how that applies to our lives. Turn to 2 uh, Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. So it's just a, a few books uh, forward in your Bible, past Galatians 5. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 11 and 12. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. And it says this, With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of His calling, and that by His power He may bring, you to, bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. 
We pray this, now catch this, this is important. We pray this so that in the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. Do you see the purpose of our goodness there? He's not just praying for goodness for the the Thessalonians for the sake of goodness. He's praying that the Thessalonians would have goodness for the glory of Jesus. Think back to that song that we just sang. We do everything to the glory of God, to our Savior Jesus Christ. So we pray this so that in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the whole point of this is not to be good for the sake of being good. It's that we are good for the sake of showing people the amazing glory of God. In other words, we're pointing people to Jesus by the goodness that we show in our lives. And so the question has to be asked, how do I know if I'm a good person? How do I know if I am producing, if the Spirit is producing goodness out of my life? And I think if you look in the biblical context, you take the passages that we have already read and you go into even the Old Testament, you look at what the Old Testament has to say about goodness, I think there are two things that you can see as far as what it means to be good in the Bible. The first one is kind of obvious, I think. The first way that we know we're filled with goodness is simply obedience. It's it's us living and doing what God commands that we do with our lives. And so let's chase a rabbit for just a moment. Following what God says, Jesus simplified his commands into a two-statement commandment. And what did he say? It says in the Bible that, that a scribe comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what's the most important commandment in all the Bible? And what is Jesus' response? Jesus looks at the scribe and he says, well, the first one, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one, he didn't give him just one, he gave him two. The second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as you would love yourself or you'd want yourself to be loved. And so the idea here is that following God, loving God, doing what God wants us to do, that's a big part of goodness. That's part of how we live good, godly, righteous lives for Christ. And so take a little side note for a moment here. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or you've ever been taught this, but Jesus's two great commands, love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself, are actually a perfect summation of the Ten Commandments. So take love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength If you look at the first four commandments, the first four commandments are all about loving God. So think about it for a second. Have no other gods before me. Don't make idols. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. And keep the Sabbath holy. All four of those commands deal with us and our relationship with God. Us loving Him. Then if you look at the last six, those are all about our relationship with others. Honor your father and mother. Um... Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, and don't covet. And so Jesus is basically confirming for us what the Old Testament has to say about goodness. 
He's taking the Old Testament, tying it to the New Testament, and saying this is what this looks like. This is what obedience looks like. This is what is important to God. And so part of goodness is simply obedience. Now, I'm not going to spend time here because I think, to be totally honest, I I think this part is a little bit of the duh moment. It's a no-brainer, right? If you got into following Christ and no one ever told you that part of following Christ is living your life in accordance to how he wants us to live, you miss the point. You miss part of the importance of following Christ. Uh, Jesus himself said, if you love me, you'll do what I command. And so the idea here uh, on the first way we know that we're living in goodness, I think that's a duh thing. I think that's a no-brainer. That's easy to understand. But I think the second one's a little more difficult. The second way that we know that we are producing goodness is this. That we are filled with goodness and in that goodness we are growing in Jesus. Because goodness is not a, okay I reached a certain point and I don't have to work at it anymore. Goodness is a continual process that we as followers are going through. It's a continual growth curve that we're continually achieving to go further down. And so here is the big statement that I want you to remember today. If you have ignored everything I've said up to this point, I want you to stop, put your device down, look up at me. I want you to hear this one statement. Then you can turn back to your device and ignore the rest of what I have to say. But I want you to hear this one statement. And here is that statement. Godly goodness grows to God's greatness. Now look at the emphasis there. Godly goodness grows to God's greatness. There's a growth element to goodness. You can never be, and I can never be, good enough. We can never look at our lives and go, you know what? I did it! I am so good! I don't have to work at this anymore! Woo! Done! We, don't have, we can never make that statement. We can never make that claim. Because can any one of us in this room ever claim to be as good as God himself? No. And so for us as followers of Christ, part of what it means to live in the goodness of the fruit of the Spirit is that we're continually seeking to grow in Christ. Now I've told you I have a one-year-old at home. Um, Declan beautiful baby boy Uh, you know probably the most beautiful baby boy on the planet and you may go you haven't met my son or grandson I don't care you're wrong (laughs) the fact of the matter is is my son is better than yours and just deal with that fact okay you're welcome I kid I kid a little so but Declan When he was born, very healthy little boy, about three months old, he caught a cold. And Jana, my wife, and Declan kind of tossed this cold back and forth to each other for three months. And so he was going to the doctor and they were trying to figure out, you know, you don't want to give babies bunches of medicine. And so they were trying to help us understand how to treat him and um, how to try and get this cold to go away. But it really kind of stayed with him for about three months. And I don't know if you know this, but... When a baby, a very little infant, 
when they are fighting, when their body is fighting an infection, it actually slows down how much they're growing. Did you know that? Their body has to condense and concentrate much of its energy and much of its uh, calorie uh, resources towards fighting the infection. And so Declan actually fell off of what is considered his growth curve. And I don't know if you've ever heard of these growth curves. You go to the pediatrician and they, they weigh the baby and they measure how long the baby is and they take the circumference of the head to make sure it's growing and, and they have a percentage that they give you, which is evil in and of itself. But when Declan was born, he was about average. I think he was like in the 40th percentile on most everything. Uh, but then when he was about six months old, the doctor weighed him and everything and said, Guys, he is under the three percentile in length and weight. And we went, oh man. And the doctor explained it's it's because of this cold, but you need to get calories in him. And so we worked hard to get calories in him. Every moment was spent, okay, can we get another bottle in this baby? Can we, can we kind of pump a little more formula into this, uh, this liquid to get a little more calories in him? Well, I mean, we were working hard and we would anticipate, oh man, we have an appointment with Declan in like a, two weeks and we would get anticipate, you know, anxious about it and, and get worked up. Oh, I wonder if he's going to grow this time and I wonder if he's going to be back on the, the growth curve and I wonder what's going to happen and blah, blah, blah. We would get worked up because his growth was such a big deal to us. Now fast forward, he jumped back on his growth curve. He's very healthy. He, he's back in a normal percentile and that, I'm praising God for that. But let me ask you a question. My wife and I stressed and worked hard because our baby wasn't growing at the rate that we needed him to be growing, the rate that the doctors wanted him to be growing. Do we treat our spiritual growth in the same way? Have you ever sat down and went, I'm really not growing the way I should be in Christ. What do I do? I got to get involved in a Bible study and I need to connect with other believers and I need to go do this and I need to go serve and I need to give more and I need to, I need to, do we do that? No. We go, man, I haven't been growing in Christ the way I should. Oh, well, something will happen. We take it casually. We sit back and we go, oh, growth will happen. God will do something. But in reality, is that what God calls us to do? Does God say, you know, I'm okay with you just staying stagnant in your faith. Does the Bible talk about that? I once heard somebody say, if you're not growing in Christ, you're going backwards with Christ. And I think I believe that statement. Because I feel as a follower of Christ that we are continually in a process of growing in him. And if we're not in that continual process of growing in him, we fall off of that growth chart. See where I'm going with this? We fall off of that growth chart and God goes, I need you to get serious again about your growth and get back on that chart. Just like I did with my son, we got to get serious about our growth in Christ. Go back to my story of of being a child and wanting to grow. As personally for me, I longed to grow taller. And it, it, it was something that was on my mind often. 
But why is it that spiritually, when we're not growing in Him, it's not something that consumes us the way our physical interests consume us? And I don't mean to, to, to come down and be very hard convictionally and things like that, but I think this is one of the great difficulties and one of the great uh, shortfallings of us as Americans. Because, let's face it, every single one of us in this room are going to reach a point where our body just stops. We're going to, every single one of us, hit a point where our body says, yep, you're done. And God's going to take us, and we're going to live in eternity with Him. And the time that we have here on this earth, the Bible says, it's like a breath that comes out of your mouth on a cold morning. It comes out, you see it for a split second, and then it's gone. That's what this life is. It's a split second. It's a snap compared to eternity. Because eternity is forever. And so why are we so concerned in investing in the physical when the physical is just going to end? And what really matters is where, we at, where we're at spiritually with Him. There's an element to goodness that's about growth. Godly goodness grows in God's greatness. Growth is a big deal. I mean, let me ask you a question for a moment. Do you think Jesus lived a perfect sinless life, died on a cross to forgive us of our sins, and rose from the grave on the third day and ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Do you think he went through all that trouble so that you could say, ah, you know what, I'm pretty happy with where I'm at in my spiritual development. I think I'm going to just take it easy. Do you think God did that, that he sacrificed his one and only son to forgive us of our sins? Do you think he did that so that we could go, you know what, my life's just a little too busy right now to worry about my spiritual life. You know, I've got to get the kids to this practice and that rehearsal. And then we've got this and this and this and this and this and this. And you know what? Here in a few years, that's when I'll focus on my relationship with God. But right now, I just don't have time. Is that why God sent his son to die for us? Did God send his son to die for us that we could say, you know what? I've worked really hard my entire life and now I'm just going to take it easy. I don't have to work. I already did all the work, and now I'm in my later years. I don't have to work at this anymore. Did God die on a cross so that we could make those kinds of statements? No. And shame on us for doing that. Shame on us for worshiping our busyness more than God and growing in Him. Shame on us for worshiping our retirement or our our golden years more than we worship God, our Savior. What does Paul say about this? You run the good race all the way till the end. So that at the end of the race, when our life is over, we go to heaven and what does God say? Well done, good and faithful servant. If that happened right now, is that what God would say? That you kept pushing and you kept running the race? Or would he go, you know what, why'd you give up? Why'd you stop? Why'd you start walking instead of running? Run the race. Run the race that God has for you. Grow in your goodness. And you may say, okay, Chad, that's a great concept, but how do I do that? Connect. Find a Bible study. Find a group of believers that you can meet with weekly. 
doesn't have to be something organized here at First Southern. It can be a group of godly people in your life that you go, hey, let's meet on Wednesday nights and let's hang out. Let's talk about God. Maybe it's coming to a, a Sunday school class on Sunday morning here at First Southern or a Wednesday night study uh, here on campus. Maybe it's connecting through serving by finding a ministry that, that you're passionate about and saying, you know what, God, I'm going to serve you here. Whatever it is, find out what it is that God's calling you to do to continue to grow in your goodness with Him. Goodness cannot be stagnant. Goodness has to be a growth process. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much. And God, we thank you for your goodness and how that goodness is available to us. And God, my prayer, my desire, my heart is that, Lord, you would show us what that goodness needs to look like in our own lives. That you would show us, Lord, how we need to grow in our goodness with you. So, Lord, touch our hearts this morning. Through your Holy Spirit, speak to us and show us, Lord, what it is that we need to be doing to grow in you, to grow in our goodness through your greatness. So, Lord, thank you so much that we have the opportunity to, to serve you, to grow in you. And, Lord, we pray that you would help us to do that this morning. We thank you, Lord. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and our loving, good Savior. Amen. Now, we are about to continue worshiping through music. And if you uh, need to speak with someone, if something in the worship or in the Word has spoken to you and you need to talk with someone about it, uh, Pastor Josh and I will be right here in the uh, front pew. Please come talk to us. Uh, we are available to you. The altar is also open. If you need to come and pray, uh, we invite you to come and spend time at the altar uh, lifting your request to God uh, this morning. So let's stand and let's continue worshiping in music.